Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. 
And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 293, is the pride of the penitentiary, Brian Edwards. <laughs> Thanks, Leon. Thanks for having me back. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be uh, the pride of the penitentiary, as you For say. those who don't know, <laughs> that doesn't mean you're a jailbird yourself. <laughs> no. no I'm a, I'm, yeah, no, not, at least not yet. I uh, haven't, haven't graced it on that side of the, the bars yet. Uh, but no? no I, I do who knows? Teach. Yeah, exactly. Life, <laughs> life, you know, life takes some strange turns, Leon. You never know what, what could that happen. That would be so. a strange turn. I see yeah. you as a thoroughly upstanding and law-binding <laughs> kind of guy, but... You know, but it depends on what laws are made that yeah. need to be broken sometimes. Yeah, exactly. It? You don't know what I do at night. I just True. go out and I jaywalk all over these streets. They can't, <laughs> they can't contain me when the no. I'm just joking. Um, What's the word? Is that is that a, is that a crime where you live? Uh, I, jaywalking I, is something that is, <laughs> I don't think so. It's <laughs> always referred to in American fiction, yeah. uh, but it's not really considered. I, I don't. I don't even know what we call it over here. If if it's even a thing. Yeah, like, I don't think it don't is walk, anymore here. Walk but... down the road. But, yeah, Because yeah. you'll get run over and annoy people. Yeah. I'm gonna go and loiter underneath all the no loitering signs. Loitering, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, loitering is frowned upon currently <laughs> in the current climate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. So. Brian from uh, the Cane and Rinse podcast, and also the Character Issues podcast. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we're uh, actually the um, getting back on track here. We got a got a few more of those in the cans. They should be coming out every other Monday. If you're interested, um, okay. take a listen over there. Uh, with, it's a very very serious show that we run yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, you may not have heard of it. It's not under our uh, our big old serious Cane and Rinse umbrella, but uh, it's a side project of uh, mm. Brian and our Leah. So if you like those two. Folks, check that out. And if you don't, don't check it out because there's a lot yeah, of us on that. It's just them. Yeah. <laughs> if you think they're really awful, then whoo boy. <laughs> so we open the show with a track that uh, I don't think I've ever heard before because uh, while I played Final Fantasy X, both at the time and for the podcast on Kane and Rince, issue 373, when we went through the Final Fantasy games, Final Fantasy X 2, while it's in my collection due to it being part of the HD remaster double pack is uh, yeah we didn't include it as it's kind of a it, yeah it's a it's a direct sequel to one of the big Roman numeraled games uh, which is something they have played around with since and I know that Leo certainly and maybe some of the other crew are keen on doing a sort of Final Fantasy Gaiden mini series of catch up podcasts which I'm certainly not ruling out because it would give me some uh, you know some time off or to play other games <laughs> uh not that i've anything against the idea of playing final fantasy 10 2 whatsoever i hear it's a lot of fun is there a is there actually a theme for the five pieces that you've picked for this sound of play or is it just tunes um, you wanted to get down to it actually it actually ended up becoming a theme without me thinking about it um i right. i got to the end of picking four of the five tracks and i realized that all four of those tracks i'd picked uh starred female protagonists so then, I so didn't the, notice that. So the so the fifth fifth one I picked my last track. Um, I I specifically yeah. picked because I love it, but also um the the fifth it does uh feature a, a female protagonist as well. Very so cool. It, it just it happened naturally, but it um but then uh, until the fourth one, then the fifth one, I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta finish this out. So. I like it. <laughs> uh, and this one actually features well is credited to a female singer japanese singer and i believe although uh, it's hard to tell from the vocal on this version the the english version mm -hmm. so the the japanese song is actually called 1000 no kotoba which means 1000 words but the artist credited is kodakumi a mm -hmm. japanese popster singster uh, the arrangement is by the final fantasy 10 to 
composers Noriko Matsueda and Takehito Eguchi. But listening to this for the first time for the show, uh, I was thinking that I was getting, uh, you know, persona vibes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, this is this definitely, um, I'm not sure if what you could say had influence on, on, on anything else. At this point, Final Fantasy had the series that had influence on basically every other video game series kind of going. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but with the use of music, um, especially in, in final fantasy 10 proper, um, it, it was just kind of all across the board. You'd had the opening sequence and then there was a lot of just like, you know, kind of village themes and over and over again, um, kind of in the same vein as, as previous final fantasy games, you get to the new area, the new area has a new piece of music and you move on. Um, Final Fantasy X2 does the same thing, but it opens up uh, with <laughs> one of the main characters from Final Fantasy X, Yuna, who was the Grand Summoner. Um, she is just now kind of a pop idol, <laughs> and so she's actually performing a concert at the very beginning of this uh, of this um, game, and this right. is the song she's singing. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a wild turn if for anybody who's played Final Fantasy X. You know, you kind of the whole point of Final Fantasy X is Yuna's Summoner's journey. And mm. then, and then and it's very serious and there's so much yeah. at stake. The world yeah. is it, and this game starts out with her, you know, basically just, you know, being a pop star, which is very persona. Yeah, exactly. Up, possibly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it feels very, per, yeah. Wearing different dresses, of course. And that those, those dress spheres, because mm. everything has to be involved spheres with Final Fantasy yeah. X, um, uh, basically changes, it kind of works as like a job system and a leveling up system. It's a really interesting game with a lot of interesting ideas. And, um, I do remember uh, putting this game in and like expecting kind of like that serious tone right off the bat and then just getting this and kind of being like really pleasantly surprised by the I don't think I could have taken another 30 hours of thinking, you know, was going to die at the end. You know right. what I mean? So yeah, it's kind of um, like Final Fantasy sort of uh, high camp gay disco edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, the the whole game can strike that tone too. It does have its ther serious themes, but um, just the friendship of the three main protagonists um, d goes a long way to just like selling the idea that this is kind of more of a um, going to be more of a joyful experience. And I wonder if Shoji Meguro, before starting to put all that J-pop and funk into uh, Persona, was hmm. was a fan of Ten Two. I'm trying to think about the. The dates, uh, I suppose Persona 3 was the first, or Shimigami Tensei Persona 3 was the was the, the one where that really came into effect, yeah. to my knowledge, as a non-expert. Uh, and I suppose that would have been just around this, just after this time. So it's not yeah. impossible there was there was some, uh, some influence there. Yeah. But yes, uh, I can see us covering Final Fantasy X-2 on the other podcasts someday. It sounds like you and Leah will likely be involved in that one it's a fun game it's a shame i didn't know about your theme or didn't spot it i should say because i think the selections i've taken from our well our reserve of requests from the community don't feature female protagonists <laughs> i wasn't savvy to that but never well, mind as usual we've got an eclectic bunch of tracks from all kinds of different games we've got uh, 1997 all the way up to 2019 i think in this show our first selection from the gang is from 2011's Dynasty Warriors 7. And Nix Fontana from the forum says, The Dynasty Warriors series has always been a series I hold near and dear to my heart. I know the games aren't for everyone, but they are what introduced me to the hack and slash genre, as well as getting me invested in ancient Chinese culture and rock music. <laughs> 
ancient Chinese rock music. <laughs> Sounds like a thing. Dynasty Warriors 7, I remember very fondly playing in high school. And it remains my favourite of the series in terms of how the story is portrayed and the music for each faction. This song in particular is one of my favourites from DW7 and how could it not be? You can just feel the energy and vigour surge through the song as you race across the battlefield. It really does make you feel like an epic man. <laughs>
Epic Man. What a great name for a song. <laughs> Masato Koike from Dynasty Warriors 7. Omega Forces, uh, well, yeah, this, probably not the seventh installment in that series. I'm going to guess there had already been at least two or three side quest games or something. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how many there are probably. now. The only one I've uh, got, I'm afraid, is uh, is the 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 easy in that is Hyrule Warriors, and yeah. I've only played it a tad. <laughs> uh, but I know that the the fans of the Dynasty Warriors genre are many, and uh, yeah, like so many of these sort of cult classic series, uh, they absolutely lap this stuff up. <laughs> now, to Brian's next pick is uh, yes, another game with a female protagonist, and in fact, one this is actually her theme from the game. Yep. Um, yeah, so this is a game that I, I was covered on the Canerans podcast uh, a few volumes ago and um, Horizon Zero Dawn. And it was actually listening to this this ver- this Canerans podcast that got me interested in playing the game. Um, All right. Nice. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was a game for me that I uh, it got swallowed in the Breath of the Wild hole. Um, yep. You know, I yep. got Horizon Zero Dawn. I was like, oh, this is really neat. Seems to be cool. And then Breath of the Wild came out and then. I just disappeared for a while, and hearing um, our our Jay on the show talks mm. with so passionately about Horizon Zero Dawn got me to come back to it. And when I did, it actually became I think it was I have more now uh, thanks to recent events, but I think it was either the second or third platinum trophy tref, trophy I ever got was Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, yeah, I was pumped. Um, I ended up just kind of devouring it. It just maybe I wasn't in the right mood for an open world game of that type at the time, but. Um, the the thing that really drew me in, though, um, much like uh, other games of its ilk that, that I think kind of sets it above the rest, is that I really fell in love with the story, and I really fell in love with the main character. And Aloy is just somebody who, it becomes very easy to rally around at the beginning. Like, she has this kind of, like, chosen one's journey, which is kind of overdone in video games, but it really turns it on its head by the end. And I think the story kind of earns your trust, like, pretty early on that they're going to you know, make, make good on, on all these things. Um, and, and recently I've been listening to the soundtrack cause I am just, um, I am as eager as anybody else to hear when, uh, horizon forgotten wilds or forbidden yeah. West, excuse me, um, yes. is, uh, going to be coming out. So I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot and this is just, you know, it's kind of the main theme that plays a little bit over the title screen. And then you just kind of hear the themes or like the, the main kind of motif of this, uh, track throughout the entirety of the game. And, it's one of those pieces of music that like so many good video game or movie compositions that the minute you hear those first couple notes, you're like, Oh, yep. That's what that's from. And it just kind of mm. brings you back to playing it. And, um, and yeah, I just think it's, it's just, it's kind of an excellent blend of haunting vocals and orchestra theme, um, that I really have fallen in love with.
from Horizon Zero Dawn. That was Aloy's theme by Yoris Deman. It reminds me a little, actually, of the title theme music from uh, Enon Zur for the original Dragon Age Origins. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's I've been revisiting a bunch of Dragon Age music lately. Uh, we just uh, finished recording the Dragon Age Two podcast for um, Kane and Rince, and I've been listening to a lot of that. And yeah, it, it does strike some of the same kind of themes there. And I wonder how difficult it is um, huh. to write. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it's incredibly difficult too, but to write stand out and re- and memorable orchestral themes just because you know at this point we've all seen all the movies and played all the games like it, it, just to continually come up with things that like b- kind of separate yourself from the rest is uh is really an impressive and Enon Zur is he's legendary at that so it's um so to, I think uh to be held in the same regard as that uh, and to at least be reminiscent of it is is a is is a pretty good theme at least I'd be excited if somebody were talking about me that way so oh yeah uh, for sure <laughs> Now we have something from, I, I don't, don't know if you call it a side story, a side project, but it's uh, a game that span off from The Witcher and it's called Thronebreaker, but uh, they retained the musical talent from the main Witcher games. This was requested by uh, our Mauricio MM from the forum, who says a beautifully composed and on brand soundtrack. Pretty much all of this OST is enjoyable, but as usual with The Witcher music, I found a special delight in the more pleasant sounding tracks like this one. Revisiting this saga felt like going back home. This is Calm Before the Storm.
by Mikolai Strowinski from Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales. Can't remember if you're a, a Witcher invested person. I, missed, I imagine you are, Brian. I yeah, I am. You know, it's funny. I, I still haven't finished The Witcher Three's uh, main story. I I get lost. Oh, well, yeah. uh, I get I get. Uh, but I probably put um, you know, uh, close to a hundred hours into the into The Witcher Three. Um, I never yeah. played the first two. I know that they've covered them. You've covered them on the on the podcast and. Um, I, one of the things, but in fact, on the last sound of play, I think that I was on, I, I requested a, uh, track from the Witcher three, just because the music is, is standout. Um, and I, I was kind of, when, when I get, saw the tracks for the show, when I saw the selection, I started listening to this. I'm like, Oh, it's kind of, it's nice and pretty to start. And then about one minute in those flutes and mandolin kind of break through the rest of it. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, this right. is the Witcher. Yeah. This is the Witcher for sure. Um, yeah, it's really, really nice. And I assume that for those who are uh, those kind of people who got heavily into the Gwent card game of mm-hmm. The Witcher, uh, this was, yeah, pure gravy to them, Mana from Heaven, <laughs> Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales. But for those of us who don't play our RPGs for the for the card game, mini games, <laughs> uh, kind of, yeah, it's fine. You in, you carry on and enjoy it. <laughs> we covered The Witcher, the entire series. We actually did four podcasts because The Witcher 3 and its DLC are so huge. But we started in Kane and Rince issue 274. You can find that in the usual places, website as well, and Spotify too. Now, a female composer as well as a female protagonist game. This is another one we covered not too long ago yeah. on Kane and Rince. Uh, and yes, absolutely channeling her history with the games that are responsible for the existence of Bloodstained. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is one of those ones that uh, I think, and we might have mentioned this on the show proper um, when we covered Bloodstained, uh, Curse mm-hmm. of the Moon, and Ritual of the Night. Um, it, it just, as soon as that opening kind of, uh, the opening trill hits and, it, and the drums and the melody come through, it just, it, it boy, it feels like a playstation castlevania game i mean it sounds better you know what i mean it's how they obviously it's not the same sound that you would get out of an original playstation but it's not hard to to put yourself in that symphony of the night mindset when you're hearing this track and um and it's in these metroidvanias i'm not sure how you feel leon I, I, i'm kind of thinking we'd probably feel the same way like it it it's that platformer problem of how do you make your music memorable and repetitive mm. without mm. being annoying and abrasive yeah. and and this and i don't think that bloodstained ritual of the night necessarily necessarily succeeds in that in every aspect but yeah. this um this track i think it just knocks it out of the park <laughs>
that was Voyage of Promise by Michiro Yamane, which I think, yeah, sort of serves as the, I don't know, I wouldn't, it's not the main theme, but it's, it's, it feels like the, the piece that everything else kind of jumps yeah. off of it. And it has, it has echoes of similar pieces from the, uh, the vintage Castlevanias, uh, particularly the nineties. I would say this is the one I think that plays as you leave your kind of main starting area every time you can kind of just hear that, um, that, that yeah. rundown and just, it becomes something you just get so familiar with as you're going. And there's a lot of back and forth as, as you do in one of those style of games. So Heck yes. yeah, you hear, you hear a lot of it. That's for sure. And as I, every time I'm waiting my way back to, to cook some more strawberry spaghetti or whatever dumb thing I needed in order to beat some boss, like oh, you'd yeah. hear that music a hundred times and, uh, and yeah, I just fell, ended up falling in love with it. You can play Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, on most things, most consoles, machines, including your handhelds, your iOS and Android. Uh, it's still on Game Pass, and I think even since we covered it back in issue 422, I think they've even done some more work on it and added some more modes and treats and trinkets and things like that. So, hmm. But you can hear what we thought of it, and it's sort of precursor the 8-bit styled curse of the moon which has since been sequeled itself yeah uh, I, I can't i really need to get around and play that i've heard very good things yeah now we have something from the world of the visual novel requested by ch davis 0917 from the forum who says, I've noticed an unfortunate lack of songs from 2064 read only memories on this podcast i am here to remedy that <laughs> this this retro style point and click adventure is it a point and click? I thought it was a visual novel. I guess I that's a semantic different differentiation. Forgive me, fans of uh, of it. It's on our big it's on our big spreadsheet. Never you fear. Back to C. H. Davis, who says this retro style point and click adventure has you sleuthing across Neo San Francisco in search of a missing person with the help of your robot friend Turing. You'll dig deeper into the mysteries of Neo SF by collecting items and interacting with the game's colourful cast. The entire soundtrack is excellent, but this track is notable for its smoky, echoing sax solo and a general sense of loneliness. This is The Final Run by Matthew Tumelo Hopkins. Thank you. 
From Midboss's 2015 game. It's out on almost everything ever, if you're <laughs> interested in that. 2064 read only memories, definitely evoking some Vangelis there and some Blade Runner feelings. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, that, 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 he described it as smoky sax, and that's just, that's just what that is. It's like you, you imagine, uh, like a, like a, a, a person dressed in a, a little, a little cyberpunk garb, just playing that in some sort of wet alley, like at night yeah. as fog is rising up. It just, it, it just evokes everything there. You can, you can picture the scene that it's from without having ever played the game. You know that that's really impressive. Not so much neo noir as neon noir. Yeah, if I dare say. Also, think makes me think of uh, Katana Zero as uh, as a similar oh, yes. kind of vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now we go back into the past a little for a piece from the early 2000s again this uh this actually brought memory straight back i I haven't fully replayed this game since about 2005 i think i played Mm. it on the ps2 i've got it on yeah modern modern, more modern systems it came out as a downloadable game for 360 and ps3 i think you can play it on back back on xbox they gave it away free on the uplay client as well for uh for pc and yet still still we await yeah, the, the proper sequel, sequel. <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil Two, still possibly happening, even though the creative lead is no longer with the company. Yeah. I I suspect it's never going to come out. Personally. Yeah, me too. Um, which you know, I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad about because yeah. you didn't really see much about it. They just kind of tech demoed it at that one E three, but been like 2017 or 18. I can't remember. But um, and another thing too is that this is one of those games that I think. And this is just my my you know own personal opinion is I I was kind of good with Beyond Good and Evil. It was a little short yeah. for me, but um, yeah. but I do, but I really like that story, like the characters. Mm-hmm. I I don't really necessarily feel a need to go back. Um, yeah. If I do go back, I I'll go back and play it. Um, I I ended up replaying this on the Xbox 360 virtual or not virtual console. Um, the Xbox <laughs> 360. Um. Uh, you know, um, it was an arcade title, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, yeah. So I played through that a few years ago, but it's one of those things. I'm not sure why. Um, it, it it's become a kind of like maybe an, even an inside joke in my house. 
um, whenever anybody asks uh, where we're going or like, what are we doing? If anybody says going, they know from anywhere in the house, they're just going to hear me yell, mama go garage. Cause I just like, <laughs> it's just stuck in my head for forever. I don't know why. What about that? Stuck in my head. But, um, the, uh, the garage, you kind of come back to, to, to work on your hovercraft, your boat, your yeah. vehicle, um, at mama go garage has this, like it, that, that, um, reggae vibe that just, it just is a nice break from all the terrible that's going on out there. You yeah. just co- you feel like uh, you feel like at this garage, nobody's that concerned with what's going on in the outside world. We're just here to fix up your boat and get you on your way, make a little money in the process. Like, but they're just kind of chilling out and doing their job. And and it's this theme I listen to pretty regularly, just as kind of like a background chill piece. Christoph Erard's Mama Goes from Beyond Good and Evil. Evenal? Evenal. From Evenal. From Beyond Good and Evil from Ubisoft Pictures and Ubisoft Milan. Yeah. Apparently, back in uh, 2003. So you can play that on uh, modern systems as well as the ones that originally came out on. We covered it in our sister podcast, Kane of Rinse, as we did with so many of the games on this uh, Sound of Play back in issue 293. And yeah, it is a the the rest of the soundtrack is more sort of synthy sci-fi yeah. stuff as I recall. And 
it's a for for a game that features a cartoonish pig and <laughs> yeah. sort of wide-eyed puppyish alien orphans it's got yep. quite a dark story hasn't it it's yeah. uh, it's got some serious subject matter yeah it kind of it it definitely took me by surprise um i i remember i was in college at the time and i remember seeing the game had gotten good reviews and so i um i ended up getting out of my gamecube was the console i had at the time and yeah um, I remember playing it and just kind of like waiting, you know, like all those games from 2003. I was like, all right, well, it's not a turn-based RPG. So when do I start hitting stuff? Like, what's the, where's the action? You know, I'm like, are, is this a 3D platformer? What it's is more this like game? a Zelda game, isn't it? it I think is, Ocarina yeah. of Time is the most, or yeah. maybe even Majora's Mask is perhaps the, the most obvious influence. Yeah. And then, and then kind of has that whole subset with photography and kind of these different challenges. Yeah, like, yeah, just, it was, it was, it was definitely its own thing. I remember just walking away from that game being like, that was kind of unlike anything I've played in its own right. So, which is, which is really kind of neat. Um, Perhaps some ill-advised enforced stealth sections. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which makes right. it true to Zelda. Absolutely. <laughs> true to in Zelda. My opinion. And certainly true to 2003 games. That's for yeah. sure. Like, oh, you gotta have a stealth section. It's a 3d action game. You gotta, <laughs> what are you, what are you going to do here? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you've never played it, folks, I do recommend checking it out. Actually, I would say uh, the the one the version if you if you are somebody who keeps uh, legacy hardware, the the version to avoid is arguably the GameCube version, yeah. simply because the smaller disc meant that they had to curtail the soundtrack. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know yeah. that until years later um, when yeah. I ended up listening to the soundtrack on YouTube or whatever and being like, "Hey, what's this? Whoa, wait, I've never hold heard on. this tune." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, a uh, strange, curious <clears throat> side effect of the uh, the miniature discs, but they're so cute. They I still are. like them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a penultimate track in this show, I decided to delve back into the 90s as we hadn't heard anything else. No particular reason. I just thought this was a fun track from uh, a cool, uh, deep cut of a game. Bit of a hipster choice, but that's fine. From Shadowless Kick, who says most people who bought Tobal number one for the original PlayStation were probably just after the Final Fantasy VII demo disc it came with. But Tobal itself was a fun, unique 3D fighter that deserved more love than it got. That goes double for its sequel. A preview in Die Hard Game Fan magazine had me hyped for Tobal 2's release, but when it never showed up in the US, I took matters into my own hands and entered the strange new world of importing. Turns out Tobal 2 was a surprisingly innovative, technically deep and seriously beautiful fighting game for its time. It's a shame it flew under so many radars. A lot of its soundtrack is unusually laid back for a fighting game. One of my favourites, Amethyst, is a good example of how it maintains the pulse for a fight while still managing to be mellow. This is Takayuki Nakamura from Tobal 2 and Amethyst.
Did you import Tobal 2, Brian? <laughs> I did not. Um, <laughs> I, I have imported games before, but mine would be more of a in the in the RPG vein than a fighting game. Um, but um, I did look up after listening to this track. I looked up some footage of this um, this running, and it looks. I mean, it looks really smooth for a PS1 game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 pretty neat. And those man, those 3D fighters, like they they just were fast and furious for a while there. And um, and this would definitely would have been one that fell through the cracks for me. But maybe. With the with the power of modern technology, maybe maybe Tobal Two is something that I'll end up being able to take a look at here. Yeah, the uh, the developer Dream Factory went on to make the much hyped but ultimately disappointing for many uh, the Bouncer, the yep. famous PS2 launch game. Uh, they went on for a few years after that, but ultimately uh, I think disappeared in about 2007. Uh, the composer Takayuri Nakamura, I'm sure we must have featured. Uh, some music from him before, uh, from, yeah, all the way going back to things like uh, eSWAT uh, on the Mega Drive, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, converting some of that m- classic Michael Jackson music to the Mega Drive, coded the sound on Streets of Rage for uh, Yuzo Koshiro. Oh, wow. And, and uh, the most recent credit that I'm seeing is actually Rodia the Sky Soldier, which was that uh, curious proper Yuji Naka game for the Wii and mm. uh, w- which was uh, mid 2000s. Yeah. Oh, he did Luminous as well. Hello. Contributed to Luminous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. contribute. Okay, sorry. I I would assume so because it's yeah. all different artists, isn't it? Maybe oh, yeah, arranged maybe arranged yeah. the sound or or programmed it so that it because it uh, Luminous has got all that sort of um it yeah. sort of morphs with the with the yeah. with the stages, doesn't it? So yeah. I guess maybe it's that kind of thing talented anyway thanks brian once again for oh, joining me you. for another sound of play uh and yeah we're as well as being on cane and rinse on a number of shows this year uh where can people find your your guy then yeah it's um just follow me on twitter it's at brian tendo 64 if you don't already um uh there are dozens of us on twitter together um but i uh yeah that's where i post uh, pretty much anything that I'm interested in. It's as you can imagine, it's all pretty much video game related over there. Um, but yeah, um, once again, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, thrilled to be here as always. Always a pleasure. So your last selection, mm-hmm. uh, this brought back a few memories of playing it for the show a couple of years ago. Now, back in issue 356, we covered Near Automata, uh, which was my first Near game. Mm-hmm. Having Mine never too. got round to yeah. right. Having not got round to the original, now sort of I still got it for the 360, but I'm sort of awaiting the uh, the HD you know, remastered remake type version to see what the what the fans tell me is the right version to play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And of course, we yeah, it's still annoyingly because there were two near games for the PS3 360 generation. We're getting the same one again, aren't we? Rather than the one that we missed, yeah, I think the so. first time around, yeah. uh, something like that. But anyway, uh, yes, I had a a pretty good time with Near Automata. Played it all the way through to the very, very end, which we won't spoil in this show. <laughs> but all along the way, as well as some tremendous music, uh, m- much of which features, uh, inc- as this one does, this sort of language that they made up for the mm. game and for the music. Uh, but this, yeah, it's pieces like this that I particularly hold in my head as having this uh, this sort of childlike melancholy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly the way that I was going to describe it. That childlike melancholy, it's it's clearly at least downtrodden in some of its tone, but the the vocals that kind of are these, you know, synth vocals that kind of go along behind it 
almost sound kind of like child's choirish, like robots child child choir kind of yeah. uh, behind the scenes and um and this this particular one is the theme for Pascal's Village, um a place that you uh you visit so, over and over again throughout the course of the game. And this um this theme ended up having um uh, resonating with me on a, on a number of levels um, because this village is one of the places that you kind of keep coming back to. It's it's one of the few places in the game that actually feels like it has hope, you know, like it has like this right. kind of like, you know, they're, they're, these kind of machines are building their own little society and this machine, Pascal's kind of, kind of like the de facto leader. And then throughout the course of the game, Pascal has a story arc that we talked about uh, a lot on the, on the Canaan's episode. Yeah. And um and yeah so so now when I'm listening when I listen to this song now it brings back all the memories and all the emotion that kind of goes with the 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 story surrounding that town and it is one that I this theme is one that I go back to very regularly and listen to as a lot of the near Automa music is um this this is definitely one of the highest ones on my list of just uh you know uh, if I wanna if I wanna put myself in that headspace of playing that game this this is the one of the tracks I listen to good choice indeed. And one that we'll leave you with, listener, until Ryan joins you for the next sound of play. This is Keichi Okabe's Pascal from Near Automata. Enjoy and see you next time. 